0: Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. One of the things that I really, really love to do in life is to read. Love reading. I've always got a book with me wherever I go. And uh, in the car, if Jen's got to go to the shops, I'll pull out a book and read for 10 minutes. Just love reading. Any other readers? a few, good, excellent. You know what I'm talking about. I love to read probably novels more than anything, but I love reading biographies too. There's nothing better in life for me than a wet, rainy day sitting by the fireplace reading a book. Absolutely spectacular, best day of the year. And uh, other than Bathurst. Um, Uh, love sitting by the fire reading a book, uh, novels mainly, like I said, but uh, love reading biography too, uh, not just Christian biography, bi- biographies of anyone, um, just biographies that I've read this year, uh, Arne Doe, The Happiest Refugee, an amazing book, so inspiring, um, Eddie Jakou, A Holocaust Survivor, uh, The Happiest Man on Earth, love reading stories like that, so inspiring, so challenging, so uplifting. But I I absolutely love, too, reading Christian biographies and more so the older saints, you know, the Moody's, the Sankey's, uh, the George Mueller's, uh, people like that, Amy Carmichael's, the Corrie Ten Boom's, Um, just fantastic people to inspire you and encourage you and challenge you in the Christian walk. But it's oddly strange that they can have the opposite effect, too. Uh, They can make you feel like you're not real great as a Christian when you compare yourself to them. Uh, These are people of amazing faith and ability. And sometimes you can read a book like that and finish it and rather than feeling inspired, you feel pretty flat thinking, I'm terrible. (laughs) I am nowhere near like that. Uh, Where is my faith at? Why can't I be like that person? I I don't know if you've ever felt like that, but uh, sometimes when you compare yourself to the faith of some of these giants, you come off a little bit short want to talk about faith today. Uh, faith is, it, it's integral to Christian living. It, it's, it's Christian living. Um, so much so that the writer to Hebrews says this, that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, the writer there didn't say without faith, it's pretty hard to please God or, you know, it's pretty difficult to please God. He says without faith, it's impossible to please God. So where do we get off when we feel that our faith is inadequate, that it's lacking, uh, that it's not like it ought to be? Uh, Because sometimes I feel like that and I'm sure that there are some here, maybe a lot here, that feel like that as well. You feel that your faith is inadequate and you're not as you should be in the Christian life. Well, I want to look at a passage today that I hope will be a great encouragement and a great challenge to you as well. And that passage is found in Luke's Gospel uh, Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through to 19. It's the passage where Jesus heals 10 lepers. Uh, so let's read that together now. I think it's up there on the screen. It is. It says, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus travelled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were healed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, I want to come back to that passage in a few moments, Um, but I want us to begin our journey together a little bit earlier in Luke's Gospel. We've just read from verses 11 through to 19. I want to go back to verses 5 and 6, because this sets us up in our understanding of this passage. So back in verse 5, we read this. The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. Now, I find this somewhat staggering coming from the lips of the disciples. You know, these guys have been with Jesus for quite some time now. Uh, they've heard his teaching, they've seen many of his miracles. And you would think that by this stage they would be pillars of the faith, that they would be giants of the faith. Uh, but their request is Jesus, increase our faith. Jesus replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted into the sea and it will obey you. What I also find fascinating about these verses is that Jesus never condemned the disciples for their lack of faith. He never turned around and said, are you serious? You guys have been with me for this long and still your faith is so small? He never did that. He never ripped into them. In fact, what he did was go on to encourage them. And he said, look, you might have faith as small as a mustard seed, the tiniest of seeds. Your faith might only be that. But if you take that faith and put it into practice, that's enough to uproot mulberry trees and throw them into the sea. That would have been a huge encouragement to these guys. Increase our faith. Really? If you had faith as small as a mustard seed, that's enough to uproot mulberry trees. And the point of what Jesus is saying is this. He was making this point to the disciples and I believe that he's making this point to us today as well. It is okay to have mustard seed faith as long as that faith is active. It's okay to have mustard seed faith as long as that faith is active. So the disciples say, increase our faith. Jesus said, no, if you've got only mustard seed faith, if all you've got at that moment is mustard seed faith, put that into practice and that's enough for a mulberry tree to be uprooted and planted into the sea. Because you see, the point is, the important thing here is, not the size of the faith that you have in God, but the size of the God that you have in your faith. Let me say that again. The important thing here is not the size of the faith that you have in God, but the size of the God that you have in your faith. Now, obviously, Jesus would love us to have huge faith. He would love us to have great faith. But you can have just a little bit of faith and a huge God, and that is enough to achieve a miracle. And so the point of what Jesus is saying is this, and this is what we shouldn't miss today – The point of what Jesus is saying to the disciples, and again to us, is this. Don't waste time hoping and praying for more faith. Exercise whatever faith you've got and leave the rest to God. Don't waste time hoping and praying for more faith. Yeah, I wish I was like Susanna Wesley. I wish I was like Charles Spurgeon. I wish I was like that person three seats in front of me. Such a stalwart of the faith. Don't waste time hoping and praying for more faith. Just take whatever faith you've got, put feet to it and leave the rest to God. That's what Jesus is saying to the disciples here in these verses. If you've got faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will be done for you. I am constantly blown away uh, by the things that God has created and placed above us. Uh, I love our cosmos. I love our world, but the cosmos just blows me away. The universe, everything that's up there that God has created. Uh, We've had a couple of supermoons recently. And uh, Jen and I will always go out onto the deck at home and uh, gaze up. Or we'll go down to the beach or up to Braddon's Lookout uh, to see these things. absolutely spectacular, mind-blowing stuff. Jen will get out of bed at 2 o'clock in the morning to see stuff like this, asteroid showers and stuff like that. Uh, I'm not as keen as Jen. Uh, It'll it'll need to be the second coming to get me out of bed at 2 in the morning, but but, uh, she's really keen. But I'm staggered too by everything that God's created and placed up there in that canopy over our heads. Uh, Let me just give you some things, uh, some stats around the expanse of what God has created. Again, this just blows me away. Just talking about our solar system here, okay? The distance from our sun out to Pluto... Now, I know that Pluto has fallen out of favour in recent years of the planet, been, been demoted, uh, but for the purposes of our discussion here, let's, let's include Pluto, okay? Uh, our solar system, the distance from the sun out to Pluto is 5.9 billion kilometres. <laughs> 5.9 billion kilometres... Now, I can't get my head around a figure like that, Uh, so let me help you understand how long a distance that is. If you were to jump in a car and start at the sun and travel from the sun to Pluto, it would take you around 6,000 years to get to Pluto. Isn't that incredible? Around 6,000 years traveling at 100 kilometers an hour to get from the sun to Pluto. Now, again, to put some context around that, uh, I turned 60 this year. I know what you're saying. He looks only 30. But but if if I turned 60, if I was, the day that I was born, if I was to start my journey at the sun and travel at 100 kilometres an hour, I would need to do that every day of my life for my 60 years, 100 times over before I got to Pluto that's just crazy. That's a long way. I I get bored after an hour and a half driving to Hobart at 100 kilometres an hour and this will take all that time. Incredible. But um, don't forget that our solar system doesn't just end at Pluto. Our solar system extends beyond Pluto. So if you were to get in that car and start at the sun and drive from the sun to the very edge of our solar system at hundred kilometres an hour, it would take you 19 million years to get there. That's ridiculously big. That's crazy. (laughs) Yeah, I'm getting tired thinking about it. Even NASA's New Horizons spacecraft, which was the fastest thing to ever be launched from Earth, would take 37,000 years to get from the sun to the edge of our solar system. That's massive. And that's what God's put up there. But our solar system is really, really tiny. That thing that will take 19 million years to travel across at 100 kilometres an hour, that's really, really tiny compared to our Milky Way galaxy of which our solar system is a part. Our solar system is only 0.0032% of our Milky Way galaxy in size. That's crazy big, crazy big. It's estimated that there are 100 billion stars in our galaxy alone, the Milky Way. Now, they don't know for sure. They can only guess and estimate uh, because it's just too big. You can't count that many stars. And that's only one galaxy that is out there. I don't know how many more galaxies are out there. And this is the thing. When we consider God as creator, it was so effortless for God to create all of that. It blows my mind, everything that's up there, but it was so effortless for God to create that. If we go back to Genesis 1, we read that all God had to do was say the word. He had to speak and all of that came into being. He just gave the command, a word of command and solar systems appeared and galaxies appeared Just mind blowing. I love the way that David puts it in Psalm 8 uh, in his poetic way. He says that he refers to all of that up there that we've been talking about, that is so expansive and great. He refers to it as the work of God's fingers. You know, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars which you have set in place, it's as if it was so easy for God that he just pushes moons and planets and stars into place. It was so easy for him. He's doing it like it's playing with Lego. Oh, why am I mentioning all of this this morning? I'm mentioning this because this is the size of the God that we have in our faith. You know, we might have a very small amount of faith, but we have a massive planet-building, universe-creating God. And with that God in our faith, mulberry trees, you better get out of the way because here we come. (laughs) Small amount of faith, but a massive planet building, universe building God and that's enough to create a miracle. And not long after Jesus had finished making this point with the disciples, he had the opportunity to bump into 10 lepers and prove his point. We have 10 men who had just a little bit of faith and a huge God, and it presented them with a miracle. So let's go back to that passage now. Let me reread it. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus travelled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. So, Jesus has just made this point. You can have a small amount of faith and a big God and that's enough to achieve a miracle. Moments later, I don't know how long later to be honest, uh, but in terms of Luke chapter 17, verses 5 and 6 increase our faith. If you have faith the size of a mulberry, mulberry uh, sorry, mustard seed and so on. A few verses later in Luke 17, he bumps into these 10 guys. I don't know how long afterwards it was, Uh, But he had the opportunity to prove his point with these guys. Now, leprosy is a horrible disease in any day. But if you had leprosy in biblical times, uh, it meant that you were cut off from the community. In fact, Jewish law uh, demanded that you separate yourself from the community. And so... What would often happen is that these groups of lepers who had been rejected by society would often congregate together in small little groups for mutual support. And it wasn't uncommon to find these little colonies of lepers on the borders of neighbouring countries so that if they were abused by people in this country, they could cross the border into that country. And if they were abused there, they could cross the border back into their own country. And that's why we read in verse 11 that it was as Jesus passed along the border between Samaria and Galilee that he bumped into this small colony of ten lepers. Now, because leprosy is so contagious, uh, lepers were required by law to clearly identify themselves. Leviticus 13.45 says that they were to wear torn clothes, they were to cover the lower part of their faith Faith, the lower part of their face and uh, that they were not to cut or comb their hair. So if you were a leper in the first century of Israel, first century Israel, uh, you would stand out like the proverbial sore thumb. Uh, Unkept hair, torn clothes, face covering. But as if that wasn't enough humiliation, lepers were also required, according to those verses in Leviticus, Uh, to cry out, unclean, unclean, whenever anyone passed near them. And it later became an unwritten law that they were to keep 100 paces from anyone. And that's why we read in verse 12 that uh, when Jesus passed near them, they stood at a distance and cried out. But their cry wasn't unclean, unclean, as was the regulation. Their cry was, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now, Jesus' response uh, was, to say the least, interesting. He simply said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. Now, to our modern minds, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, But in terms of uh, the context of the passage that we're reading here, it has a lot of cultural and faith implications for these ten men. Uh, Let me explain. Um, Whenever anyone in first century Israel was cured of a contagious disease, they were required to go to the priests and present themselves to the priests. And the priests acted as a sort of health inspector uh, to verify that a cure had taken place and that it was safe for them to re-enter society. So what Jesus was doing here in giving them the command to go and show themselves to the priests was he was giving them an instruction that required them to exercise faith and to walk in the direction of the priests as if they had already been healed. Now, they hadn't. They were still covered in leprous sores. But Jesus said, go show yourselves to the priests. Now, I would have loved to have been there on this occasion. I reckon it would have been quite humorous to see. Uh, I don't think for a minute that Jesus said, go show yourselves to the priest, and they said, okay, and off they went. I don't think it went down like that at all. Here's what I imagine would have happened. Um, I imagine Jesus said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And they would have been bewildered. (laughs) They would have looked at one another. They would have looked at their sores. They would have looked at themselves. They would have thought to themselves, why in the world would he give us the instruction to go show ourselves to the priest? We haven't been healed. We're covered in sores this would have been quite a confusing moment for these guys, I imagine. And I imagine that before too long, uh, one of them said, oh, well, it's Jesus, so I'll give it a go. And off he went and maybe another one thought, what, you know, why not? And off he went and before too long, all 10 of them were walking in the direction of the priests. And we read that as they went, they were cured. They had just a little bit of faith, but a huge God, and that was enough for the miracle to take place. Again, the disciples said, increase our faith. Jesus said, if you had just a small amount of faith and a big God, that's enough for a miracle. Then he bumps into these 10 guys. They have just a little bit of faith, enough to walk in the direction of the priest, but they have a huge God and a miracle takes place. I find this incredibly encouraging And I hope you do too. You don't have to be a Charles Spurgeon. You don't have to be a George Mueller. You don't have to be a Susanna Wesley. You don't have to be like that person three seats in front of you that you consider to be a stalwart of the faith. You just have to take whatever faith you have in your heart, step out with it and leave the rest to God. I find that incredibly liberating. You don't have to be a hero. You just have to step out in whatever faith God has given you at that moment and trust God. Okay. Final thing I want to say today is this. Heaven is open to mustard seed faith. Heaven accepts people with mustard seed faith. You know those People like myself uh, that sometimes waver and sometimes wonder, am I all I ought to be? Uh, I'm not like that person. I'm not like that other person. Heaven accepts people with mustard seed faith. I'll come back to that in a minute, though. In this story, all ten people were healed, but only one returned. He didn't go to the priests like the other nine, He didn't go back to his family like I presume the other nine did. And who would blame them? These people, again, by law, had been cut off from society. They'd been cut off from family and loved ones. Uh, Who could blame them for going straight back to family and loved ones? I can't. But this man didn't. We read in verses 15 and 16 that he came back praising God and falling at the feet of Jesus, giving thanks Verses 15 and 16. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And the irony in this is, and Luke goes out of his way to make this point, that this man was a Samaritan. He came back praising God, uh, falling at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And this man was a Samaritan. Luke goes out of his way to make the point. A couple of verses later, Jesus refers to him as a foreigner because he was from Samaria. This is the last person you would expect to find at the feet of a Jewish healer worshipping and praising him because Jews and Samaritans were bitterly divided. But not only, well, he, he was only the only one, the first and only one to return and do such a thing. And because he returned, Jesus said, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Now, I really don't like that translation, I must be honest. I don't like that translation, made you well. The little Greek word there is the Greek word sozo, and it means to save. And what Jesus literally said to this man was, rise and go, your faith has saved you. Now, it can mean saved in a physical sense. In other words, rise and go, your faith has saved you from this dreadful disease. And clearly that's the way that the translators of the NIV have taken it. Uh, But it can also mean saved in the spiritual sense. Uh, Rise and go, your faith has uh, brought you into a right relationship with God and has made you fit for heaven. And that's the way that I prefer to take it, and not just me, others as well. Uh, And my reasons for doing so is this. Luke's gospel is the gospel of salvation. He uses that little Greek word sozo to save, more than any of the other three gospel writers. He also includes more salvation stories in his gospel than the other three gospel writers. In Luke's gospel, we read of the salvation of tax collectors. There's one in Luke 18. There's another one in Luke 19, a guy by the name of Zacchaeus. More Samaritans are converted in Luke's gospel than any other gospel. Uh, more gentiles are converted even a thief on the cross gets converted in luke's gospel this is the motive that runs right throughout luke's gospel it's a motive of salvation and so when jesus literally says to this man rise and go your faith has saved you i believe he means that in the fullest sense of the word rise and go your faith has saved you not only is it well with your body it is also well with your soul Here's a man who had mustard seed faith. It was enough for him to walk in the direction of the priests. It was enough for him to come back and fall at the feet of Jesus and worship him. And because of that, Jesus said, mate, you are fit for heaven. Rise and go. Your faith has saved you. I'm going to ask the team to come back up as we... Close this now. I read something during the week that I never knew. Uh, now, <laughs> that sounds awfully cocky, doesn't it? There's a lot of things I don't know, but uh, I read this. Uh, it was about fish. Now, I'm not a pet person, and I'm certainly not a fish person. Uh, this was news to me. It may be common knowledge. And if it is, I'm going to look like a real pork chop in a moment or two, uh, because I got all excited about this. Um, this guy was um, a guy who... I was reading this guy. He, he dives for exotic fish and sells them to whoever can afford his services. And he said that one of the most requested fish that he gets from clients is a shark. Can you believe that? People want to have a shark as a pet. Uh, that's, that's nuts. <laughs> you, if you want a fish, you buy a goldfish. You know, it's, I've never met anyone who's lost a leg to a goldfish. But, you know, but he, this is what he said. He's an exotic diver, catches fish and sells them to clients. And most people want to buy a shark. And what he was saying, and this is the bit that I didn't know, uh, he said that you can catch a baby shark and put it in an aquarium and it will grow to a size proportionate to that aquarium. So he was saying that you can catch a baby shark and put it in an aquarium and it might only grow to six inches. But you can take that same shark and put it in the ocean and it'll grow to eight feet or more. I didn't know that, but that's, that's amazing. I've just said that heaven accepts mustard seed faith. That mustard seed faith that is active And even though it's shaky, it steps out and trusts God. Heaven accepts that sort of faith. What I want to say in closing is don't be content with that faith. Don't be content with mustard seed faith. Don't be happy being a six-inch shark. Be an eight-foot shark. You know what I'm saying? Don't be content with just a small amount of faith. Seek every day to grow in your faith and become a giant of the faith. Uh, I'm sure that that's what God wants and I'm sure that was the desire of the disciples when they said to Jesus, increase our faith. I hope that's our prayer. I hope that's our desire that every day we'll be bigger and bigger and bigger in terms of the faith that we possess. But that's not going to happen if all we do is sit around thinking, gee, I wish I was better than what I am. I wish I was more like that person or more like that person. we'll never grow if that's all we ever do. We've got to get up and put feet feet to the faith that we have. And as we do that, and as we trust God, and as we give God the opportunity to prove himself and do wonderful things in and through our lives, not just once, but time and time and time and time again, we grow. You know, we go from being a six-inch shark to an eight-foot shark. Again, it doesn't happen overnight, but it happens as we continually act on the faith that we have and trust God day by day. Eventually, we find ourselves at that point where we can look back and say, once I was there, but now I'm here. I'm growing in my faith. Does that make sense? Excellent. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you uh, for all that you are. You are an almighty, all-powerful God. And when we consider that, I don't know why we waver in faith. It's it's just ridiculous. Makes no sense. But we do. And sometimes we have genuine struggles. Uh, sometimes we uh, fear to trust. Uh, we have all of these things going on in our life. But I pray, Father God, that day by day by day, you will find us more and more faithful, growing in the faith that you have put into our hearts. And we do this not because we want to be anything great. We, we don't want to become anyone great. Uh, we do it because we want to glorify you. And to this end, uh, we place our faith anew in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen.